Cutting through an overload of information to get to the heart of the story. This is The Point. Welcome to The Point, an opinion show coming to you from Beijing. I'm Li Xin. Since China optimized its COVID strategy, all eyes are on the country's economic growth prospects. The World Bank has forecast that China's economy will grow by 4.3% this year, and China's economic powerhouses, Guangdong Province in South China and Zhejiang Province in Eastern China, have both set GDP growth targets of at least 5% for 2023. To what extent will China's economy rebound this year? What will the government do to support businesses and what's at stake as Chinese people gradually regain their confidence in spending. I was pleased to be joined from Beijing by Professor Yao Yang, Dean of the National School of Development at Peking University. Last December, you said that China's economic growth in 2023 will reach at least 6% and, quote unquote, it wouldn't be too outrageous if economic growth reaches 8%. Why are you so optimistic? Uh, well, there are several reasons. Uh, uh, first of all, uh, China has uh, left uh, the first wave of COVID uh, uh, back. Uh, you know, if you look at the, the data, and also people's feeling. Uh, you can tell that the first wave of COVID has almost ended. Uh, economic activities uh, have come back. That's uh, uh, the first and foremost uh, reason for my prediction. And second, uh, uh, China's uh, potential growth rate is still between five and six percent. But if we look at uh, the average of last three years, uh, uh, it's uh, around 4.6%, so way below uh, China's potential growth rate. So to reach uh, the average growth rate, uh, that is uh, China's potential growth rate uh, for say five years time, then in the next two years, uh, China has to grow much faster than uh, China's potential growth rate. And uh, uh, thirdly, uh, we can see that consumption uh, is uh, bouncing back. Uh, that's going to be a major uh, driver for China's growth uh, this year. Well, some people are predicting that uh, although uh, some so some level of normalcy is back, there may be more waves and uh, consumer confidence may not bounce back as much as one wish. China's retail sales last November sank by 6% year on year. Uh, are you concerned about the lingering effect of the COVID uh, impact on China's consumption, and what measures will China take to increase domestic demand? Uh, well, uh, it was uh, exactly because uh, last year China's consumption growth was so low that actually uh, to make uh, uh, growth of consumption this year much easier because there was a low base over there, right? So, for example, if uh, China's consumption growth stopped declining then this year, that's a contribution uh, to the overall GDP growth, right? Uh, but uh, that has been said, I think uh, we have uh, several positive factors over there uh, for China's uh, consumption uh, growth. 
uh, one, you know, despite the po possible second wave of COVID, I mean, people are more prepared than before. I think the government is also more prepared uh, than before, right? So uh, say in the spring, uh, a second wave of COVID uh, would come, uh, but, uh, you know, because people have got to, used to it, then uh, people uh, would uh, still go out and have uh, uh, normal business uh, activities, I think. I mean, look at uh, uh, the last uh, uh, two weeks and currently, uh, you go to train stations, airports, you see business travelers uh, and ordinary channels uh, have come back, right? So I think people's confidence uh, for uh, a normal life uh, is now back. Uh, and I believe the government is going to roll out uh, uh, some measures, uh, policies uh, to boost uh, uh, consumptions. Uh, for example, uh, China's property market uh, is going to come back to normal. I, I wouldn't say it's going to grow so much, but as long as it comes back to normal, that's going to eliminate uh, a huge drag of consumption growth because uh, the property market has uh, a long chain of uh, backward and forward linkages. And it's very much uh, linked to China's uh, consumption. So if the property market uh, come back, that consumption uh, will come back, right? And second factor is that many provinces uh, have rolled out the coupon, consumption coupon plan. Uh, that's going to help. Uh, but of course, uh, uh, personally, I would like to see that the central government uh, takes uh, some steps and also issue consumption coupons. A central government economic meeting at the end of last year pledged further support for the private sector. As we know, the private sector is very important for the Chinese economy. For instance, in 2021, uh, it contributed nearly half of foreign trade, over 60% of GDP and 80% of urban employment. Uh, a private sector companies getting the much needed support they need after three years of uh, strict COVID measures? Uh, well, uh, during uh, the COVID period, uh, the central government and also provincial uh, city governments uh, have done a lot to support uh, the private businesses. Uh, um, you know, last year and then the year before, the central government gave a tax cut of uh, trillions, I think two to three trillions RMB, right, to uh, help uh, those uh, private business uh, uh, to stay uh, in operation, right? Uh, so that helped a lot. I believe uh, this year the government will continue some uh, form of uh, tax uh, relief. That's going to help uh, uh, private business, right? And uh, this year, uh, the government's policy uh, will be moved toward uh, economic growth, right? So, uh, policies uh, on private business uh, will be more accommodating. I mean, from the private business point of view, uh, for them, uh, what the government should do is to stabilize uh, the policy and uh, to level the play field. Uh, that's uh, 
uh, quite important uh, to boost the confidence of our private uh, businesses. And I believe this year we are going to see that. Do you see signals that their message is being heard and heeded, that uh, they will get the kind of certainty that they need to, to invest in their businesses? Well, uh, certainly, yes. Uh, uh, look at uh, the current conference uh, held last December. Uh, there is a strong message uh, sent out uh, to private business that uh, central government uh, is quite uh, concerned about uh, uh, the confidence of the private business. And I believe uh, in the coming uh, so-called two sessions of MPC and the CP. PCC in March, you know, more policies uh, will be rolled out to support okay. the development of private business. We'll certainly keep a close watch on that. Uh, as I just mentioned, you just had a tour of the United States of about two weeks and you um, met extensively your U.S. counterparts, especially in the business sector. What is your impression of uh, the kind of economic relationship, the stability of the economic relationship between the two largest economies? Is there a sense of uh, lack of confidence or skepticism in China's growth prospects? Uh, yeah, so we had a tour uh, Washington DC and then went to New York City to have uh, our annual economic dialogue. Uh, with uh, our American counterparts. Uh, um, uh, our impression is that uh, first, uh, US-China relations uh, would not go back uh, to say the situation before 2018 when the trade war uh, began. Right? So United States uh, is uh, quite determined to compete uh, uh, with China. Right? And second, the uh, uh, United States uh, government uh, is also determined to set up a so-called small yard hyphen uh, to contain uh, China's uh, technological progress. I mean, uh, this is uh, not uh, uh, for the United States uh, to stop uh, China's growth, but more or less uh, out of its anger about China. Right. Uh, China is growing so fast and China uh, helps uh, to its own uh, values. Uh, that actually uh, the root cause uh, for U.S. attitudes uh, towards China. What's uh, the impact on the economy, on the economic relationship between the two sides? Well, that, uh, that has a huge uh, impact, uh, right? Uh, first of all, uh, United States is quite determined to decouple with China uh, the high-tech frontiers. Okay, and uh, second, uh, uh, it does not want or does not have the appetite to improve uh, economic relations with China. For example, uh, I don't think the uh, United States uh, is willing to get rid of uh, the tariffs set up by the Trump administration. Okay. Uh, so that's kind of the basis uh, for US-China relationship. But on top of that, we also see hopes for the two countries to sit down and talk and to improve uh, the relations in some aspect. For example, in climate change, there is uh, ample room for the two countries to cooperate. Well 
Well, still focusing on economic relationship, although, you know, we have the factors that you just mentioned, but trade between the two sides, for instance, did grow. Trading goods at least grew by by some 4% year on year. I mean, last year compared to 2021. So uh, is is there still some room for trade relationship to continue to grow? And what's the impact of all of the factors you just mentioned on China's growth prospects? Uh, well, it, after the trade war began, uh, US-China trade declined uh, for a short period of time, but then it resumed the uh, growth uh, uh, very quickly. As you said, it, you know, US-China uh, trade uh, volume is uh, still growing. I think uh, the business uh, on both sides have uh, found a new equilibrium uh, despite uh, the high tariffs uh, set up uh, by United States. Uh, you know, uh, Chinese exporters uh, have found uh, a new and higher ground to export to United States. Okay. Um, so to me, uh, even with uh, the high tariffs, uh, U.S. and China uh, trade relations uh, will continue uh, to grow. Uh, this also says uh, that uh, the trade war uh, is uh, just uh, detrimental for American consumers, right? Because it really hurts. Uh, but for uh, China's for China's economic prospects for 2023, is that going to be a big, fa- big factor? I, I don't think so. Uh, as I said, you know, Chinese exporters have found a new and higher ground to export to the United States. So it, it has uh, become kind of a new normal. Uh, so, so the trade war elicited by Trump has become just uh, imposing a cost on American consumers. A Japanese think tank recently forecast that China's nominal GDP is unlikely to surpass that of the United States in the next in the next decade. What is your take? Well, that was I read uh, that report. Uh, you know, the, and their message uh, was quite simple. They just assumed by twenty thirty five, China's growth rate is going to converge to American growth rate, which is two uh, percent. Then they they did this uh, linear average, and that was totally wrong. Uh, it, you know, it's uh, not uh, scientific. Uh, my projection is that uh, China is going to take over United States in nominal GDP by 2030, uh, probably the latest. I mean, look, uh, China's growth uh, this year. Uh, is going to be at least five percent. Uh, United States uh, about one percent. Okay, uh, so China's uh, growth uh, uh, is going to contribute sixty uh, percent to world growth this year. Right. Wow. So over the next uh, several years, uh, China is going to have a new round of uh, mm-hmm. high growth, relatively high growth, and the United oh. States is going to have a low growth. Okay. Well, so uh, yeah. Okay. Let's see. Let's see. Um, A lot of work needs to be done there. We hope your prediction is correct. Of course, that's uh, both sides will continue to grow and, um, you know, the ordinary people will share in the benefits. We have to leave it there. Many thanks, Professor Yao Yang, Dean of the National School of Development at Peking University. Thank you. Thank you. Nice talk to you.
Professor Yao Yang, Dean of the National School of Development of Peking University. We'll take a short break now, and when we come back, I'll be talking to Evandro M. de Cavallo, head of the Center for Brazil-China Studies at the Getúlio Vargas Foundation School of Law. Stay with us. We all enter this world with a universal greeting. <laughs> we then learn to speak. Though our languages, cultures, and traditions may differ, we still share one thing in common. We have hope for humanity and the world. General Railway Company Hear the difference. Join our global network to connect with the world. Making room for all opinions and seeing events from more than one side. This is the point. Brazil's President Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva assumed office for the third time at the beginning of this year, actively pledging to pursue multilateralism and develop cooperative ties with China and other international partners. Yet supporters of former President Jair Bolsonaro stormed the country's Congress on January the 8th, eerily reminiscent of the storming of the U.S. Capitol two years ago by supporters of former President Trump. Are we seeing a deeply divided Brazil? Does the leftist leader's return to office imply better relations with China? And what are the likely challenges for bilateral ties? I was pleased to be joined from Buenos Aires, Argentina, by Evandro Cavallo, head of the Center for Brazil-China Studies at the Getulio Vargas Foundation School of Law in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. He has lived in China for several years and is considered a launay, meaning someone who knows China well. All right, thank you very much, Dr. Cavallo, joining us from Buenos Aires, Argentina. So uh, Brazil's president, Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva, just took office uh, as president of Brazil once again, but uh, supporters of the former president storm the Brazilian uh, central government institutions um, days after he took office. What is your comment to what has happened in the Brazilian capital and how big of a challenge is that for President Lula's uh, administration, his new term, and for Brazil's democracy? I think that there is a similarity between these two facts. I mean, the invasion of the capital United States and uh, also in the vision of the headquarters of the executive, judiciary, and the legislative powers in Brazil. So these facts allow us to think that they were acts planned, I think, in advance, and that they could be the result of a broader political um, action uh, to beyond the national territory. So these movements that openly disrespect the constitution of Brazil, deteriorate our democracy and create a climate of terror that undermines undermines Brazilian social stability. And uh, these uh, radical supporters of former President Bolsonaro are, all, are, are not accepting the result of last year's Brazilian elections, but they want to impose their, their will through force 
and by disregarding the powers of the Republic, these, these radicals want to convey the idea that Brazil is divine, you know. But a, a recent survey published uh, yesterday in Brazil by an institute called Datafolha revealed that 90, 93% of Brazilians disapprove the attacks in, uh, that happened in Brasilia. So the challenge for Lula's administration, in my opinion, is knowing how to deal with these radicals that are present in different sectors of Brazilian society. In terms of uh, developing relations with China, how much priority is uh, President Lula going to attach to that in terms of realizing the goals he has pronounced for his term, for instance, giving dinner to everybody in Brazil, meaning eradicating extreme poverty and also, you know, dealing with the kind of political divide, the radical political views some people are holding towards his administration. So you mentioned the relation between Brazil and China during Lula's administration. I think with Lula, there will be better conditions for a broader and deeper relationship between both countries. Firstly, with Lula, Brazil will be more active within the BRICS. And this is a very important topic because during the Bolsonaro's government, uh, Brazil was, uh, you know, uh, uh, Brazil didn't have... Uh, uh, an, an active diplomatic position towards BRICS. And uh, this is very important. Uh, I mean, uh, Lula's government changed the diplom Brazilian diplomacy towards BRICS when the BRICS is on the way to expanding its numbers of participating countries. Secondly, Lula will undoubtedly want to develop a relation with China that is not limited to trade there may be greater cooperation in sustainable development in the financial sector and especially in science and technology. And if I could give Lula some advice, I would tell him to bet on strengthening China's cooperation with the northeast of Brazil and that he could think about proposing and, and the institutionalization of the BRICS. Uh, what do you think specific areas um, can be can, can witness further collaboration between China and Brazil, and uh, what kind of concrete benefits will that bring? Could that bring to people in Brazil and vice versa to the people of China? Because trade between the two countries really jumped um, over the last yeah. year. Um, by 30-40% both in terms of import and export. So which specific sectors and what concrete benefits will people from both sides see with this increased relationship, warmer relationship, let's say, between Brazil and China in the year to come? I think Brazil and China could develop uh, better cooperation in science and technology and innovation. There are a lot of space to do uh, more in this area. When I think about, you know, artificial intelligence, uh, 5G in Brazil, and all these uh, uh, innovation uh, initiatives can bring to Brazil an economic development. Uh, so it's not only international trade. The international trade between Brazil and China, we know, is well-developed. 
but there are a lot of uh, areas that uh, our countries can uh, develop together. And I think science and technology is the main one. What is the biggest challenge do you see in bridging, you know, the geographical difference, uh, distance between the two sides in terms of uh, developing ties further? The geographical distance is a huge challenge, we know, but uh, there are two other big challenges to Brazil and China. And uh, the first due to international context and the second, the domestic environment in Brazil. So internationally speaking, internationally, when I, I think about the international context, the world is living with, you know, uh, with with a pandemic, still living a pandemic situation that has lasted three years and uh, has had repercussions on the global economy. In addition, the, the conflict between Russia and Ukraine slash NATO adds a lot of uncertainty about the world's future as well. And the United States is being more aggressive in its diplomatic approach in defense of their interests. And the competition between the United States and China is also a factor that Lula will have to take into account and know how to deal with without having to, uh, to choose a side, to align himself with one country or another. And... Um, Domestically, uh, as we have already mentioned, Lula finds a country that is currently, you know, uh, I think Brazil, in a certain way, is the stage of an action for the extreme right in the world. And this is a big challenge uh, for Lula. And all these factors uh, will directly or indirectly influence the bilateral relationship between Brazil and China. But I believe that both countries can together uh, bring the greater stability to the world, considering both leaders, you know, Lula and the President Xi Jinping. With that, we come to the end of this edition of The Point with me, Liu Xin. As always, you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter using the handle Liu Xin in Beijing. You've got the point. We all enter this world with a universal greeting. <laughs> we then learn to speak. Though our languages, cultures and traditions may differ, we still share one thing in common. We have hope for humanity and the world. General Railway Company Deutsche Director of the International Hear the difference. Join our global network to connect with the world.